Joining me on today's show is Michael Dugar of The Athletic. He was part of the release of the report about Russell Wilson reportedly having issues with the Seattle Seahawks, and he comes on the show today to address all of that and the future of the Seattle Seahawks. This interview, after a quick word from our presenting sponsor, Anchor. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest is a resident Seahawk expert, Michael Sean Dugar from The Athletic. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Well, it is a pleasure to talk to you. Um, Before we get into all the recent reports and all the rumblings in Seattle, I do want to talk about you and your career. How did you begin as a writer and what was the journey like? Um... Uh, it's funny because today on the internet is all about um, unpaid internships and stuff like that. Uh, I never did any of those. Uh, I worked for my student newspaper at uh, Washington State University for, I think, a year. And I started off covering swimming, and, and I can't even swim. That shows you how big <laughs> the business is sometimes. Uh, I was a sports editor for a little bit. Actually, oh, damn, not, not you actually, how well was I? I was a sports editor for a year and be a writer for like a year. So maybe like two years total. Um, then I became the sports editor of the, no, actually I'm skipping a step. I got hired at the Moscow Pullman Daily News, which is basically the pro paper um, right by Washington State. Because uh, Idaho is like eight miles from uh, Pullman, Washington. Um, so I was hired as the like a was like a entertainment like news not news but I was like basically a writer about like arts and entertainment and I was also designing pages in the paper I don't know how many days a week and then it wasn't until like four months later I actually even got to write sports I got promoted to sports editor and I also covered the University of Idaho athletics on top of a bunch of very small high schools in northern Idaho I mean, real small. I'm talking like 50 kids in the school type wow. of stuff. Eight-man football. Um, very, yeah, like you're, you're doing the, you're, do, you're writing your game story right next to the guy who's calling the game, right next to the coach and niece who's taking the stats, like that that type of small. Um, did that for like three years um, and then moved to Seattle to work for the Seattle Post Intelligencer, uh, covering the Seahawks. Did that for a year. That was uh, 2017. Uh, so as soon as I got there, when the Seahawks didn't make the playoffs, felt like bad luck. Um, and then in May of 2018, got hired at The Athletic to cover the Seahawks. And that's what I've been doing since. Now, were you, when you were growing up, what was your fandom, I guess, tied to in terms of football? Um, I'm from Seattle, but I didn't necessarily grow up like a Seahawks fan. I I didn't go to my first Seahawks game till I was, uh, let's see, 2011. Wow. Yeah, I was at the the first game that the Legion of Boone played together actually, 2011. Uh, and I I my dad was into baseball, but I'm not into baseball at all. Uh, really, like I I rock with the Mariners, but I mean. That's a toxic relationship they have with their <laughs> fan base, so I can't fully engage in that because I care about my mental health. Uh, big Sonics guy, though. I think my dad has a – I had like a Derek Mason, uh, Desmond Mason jersey, a Desmond Mason poster when he won the slam dunk. Um, my dad still has like a Kevin Durant bobblehead somewhere at the crib. Uh, I, sh- I think I still have like a Sonics Gary Payton 
uh, jersey. So I went to a bunch. I was a big basketball guy. I'm more of a basketball guy than a football guy. But that it's mostly Sonics, and then now it's mostly Cougs. I don't really root for anything else in terms of just a team. I don't. I can't get down with the idea of rooting for teams where you're not from. Hmm. I just can't rock with that. So if you're not, if it's not a team in the state of Washington, I can't get down with you. Though shout out to the Storm. I haven't been getting into the Storm the last like four or five years. All right. <laughs> now, in terms of basketball, would you be? I'd assume then you'd be pretty excited if uh, Seattle got the Sonics back. Oh yeah, that that'd be tight, man. It, it, we just need the NBA to just stop being so so greedy, man. Just be willing to expand to thirty-two teams, divide that pie up. Um, let's let's get a team here. I don't care where the other one is. To be honest, throw it in St. Louis, throw it in Louisville, throw it in Vegas. I mean, Vegas makes some sense. Um, I think if you're just going to go all in on expanding in Seattle and Las Vegas with hockey, go ahead and do the same, you know, in, in, in the NBA. Uh, yeah, I'd be, a, I'd be a big fan. I think when I was in college still, the sports editor at the Seattle Times asked me what, like, my dream job was. Um, and I told him, I was like, man, I'd love to cover the Sonics for you guys. Hmm. Like, and I wasn't just talking. I was like, no, that'd be dope. Um, I don't, that may not happen to like, 2035. <laughs> uh, but... That definitely would have been ideal at the time. Well, hopefully it happens for uh, the sake of basketball. Uh, it'd be very, very cool to see a franchise back in Seattle. But to the sport that you actively cover, and let's address the elephant in the room, Michael. You had a report come out just a few days ago, partnered with a couple other Seattle reporters, about the franchise guy, Russell Wilson. So straight up, will Russell Wilson be saying go Hawks at the start of the 2021 season, and will he remain a Seattle Seahawk? Uh, say that again. I can't hear you very well. Will Russell Wilson be a Seahawk at the start of the twenty twenty one season? Twenty twenty one season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think so. Um, I don't think. I mean, and, and if we didn't think that, uh, me and the other writers you alluded to, Jason Jenks and Mike Sando. I mean, if we didn't think that Russell Wilson would be the guy in twenty twenty one, I think we would have framed the story a lot differently. Like for people who read this story um, up on the Athletic right now, highly recommend it. Um, it's titled what's uh, causing the beef between or the rift, not the beef between the Seahawks and Russell Wilson power and control. We, if you notice that's a 4,000 word story and the part about like Russell Wilson and the trade stuff, that's not, that's like 2000 words in, right? We wouldn't have buried it that deep if we thought that that was the most important thing. The most important thing is that Russell Wilson is upset with the Seahawks, Like that. That's it. And the Seahawks don't necessarily seem to be in a position to give much of a damn of him being upset. And that's the the real issue. Like whether he's at the in the bay, whether where he's uh, wearing a Bears jersey or Cowboys, uh, what else did he say? Saints, Raiders. I don't know if he's gonna go any of those places in twenty twenty one. I would highly doubt it. The point is, like we tried to articulate, the franchise quarterback doesn't trust ownership and management to build a championship a championship roster around him, like. That is like the main thing. I know the trade stuff became the main talking point, but I, I like to spin it back to the idea that like, traded or not, he's here and he's not happy about being here. So like, somebody needs to fix something you know, immediately. Now, a, a nice follow up here. It's been very, very heavily reported that a big part of this is a he would like input. And really, the big aspect is he was at the Super Bowl, and he had a front row seat to watch Patrick Mahomes running laps all over the field and running for his life because his offensive line with Eric Fisher out, and it was depleted overall, and 
it's pretty evident that an offensive line is the key cog in making the offense successful, and the Seahawks do not have that. Um, I'm a Jets fan. I know Brandon Shell was starting on the right side for part of the season. What is the plan, I guess, to make Russ happy, if there is a plan, because it seems like the Seahawks really don't care? I'm not sure if there really is a plan, you know, like, if there was a plan, I don't think Russell Wilson would be out here on the Dan Patrick show telling us he's frustrated or be on Zoom when he's supposed to be talking about the Walter Payton man of the year and is just like willing to just play. Like, no, I'm frustrated with getting hit too much. Like if there was a plan and they didn't tell it to Russ, okay, I'll put it this way. There probably is a plan. I mean, John, John Snyder and Pete Carroll make a lot of money to have these plans. They're good at having plans for the most part. How good of the plan, how good the plan is, is, you know, another discussion, but they probably have one. It doesn't seem like they're willing to articulate it to Russell or they did in the plan stinks. Uh, that's one of the one of the two things. Like, if Russell Wilson called Pete after Super Bowl or called John and was like, "Yo, what's the plan?" and they said, "Hey, trust us, we we, we got we got this," you know, that's 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 terrible. Uh, you know, because Russell, after nine years, is probably like, you don't got it. You know, what I mean, that's kind of what we tried to articulate in the story too. It's not, it's not just that. You know, they've been they've been bad at it. It sounds it sounds like they're like imploring faith on Russell's part and won't give him input maybe to keep him in line to keep him uh, in the labor group and separate from like management quote unquote but no matter what the reasoning is their plans you know aren't good enough for the quarterback that's it if they were he wouldn't be out here he'd just be you know working or swimming with sharks so I'm swimming with sharks <laughs> the other day like he'd just be doing his regular offseason thing instead he made the rounds and made it very clear that either a they got a plan it wouldn't tell me or they told me the plan and it stinks so you just had a report come up just a few hours ago on the athletic which was your 12-step off-season plan for the seahawks what what do you think is the most important step of those 12 to really having a successful franchise at this point and how would you address some of their biggest issues i think that priority number one is make sure Russell feels, you know, appreciated and try to restore that faith, right? Because that's the other, we led in that story with, um, you know, him storming out of a meeting before the uh, week 11 game against the Cardinals, right? And it, and it's just, a, it's a lack of just faith and belief, you know, on Russell's part. Like he just does not think that his opinion is being val- uh, valued, right? Whether they fire the OC that he liked, he had some choice in picking the new guy, but like clearly that didn't suffice, right? Or he he wouldn't be out here. So the main thing is Russell feels away. If you're the Seahawks, you got to make sure he don't feel away no more. That could be giving him more power. That could be buying some offensive linemen. That needs to be making him feel involved. Like if he, it's, I don't I don't know if this is the case. Not necessarily reporting this, but if Russell calls and says, "Yo, we got a plan for O line," and you say, "Yeah, we do." Okay, what, what is it? Like, you know, um, we're going after A, B, and C. Okay, cool. Um, you know, can we add this fourth guy to the list? Check him out. You know, like, played with him in the Pro Bowl. You know, I know some guys who know him. Um, check him out for me. All right, cool, Russ. We'll, we'll look into that for you. Like, we've got you. We'll check. Even if you come back and say, Russ, that dude is trash. You know, he's got a bicep injury that, we, you know, like, that he was hiding all years. So we probably shouldn't really throw a lot of money at him. He won't be reliable in 2021. Russ like, all right, cool. You know what I'm saying? Like that, even then, that's just communication. That's making your guy feel involved. I get the sense that they're not doing even that. Like that's a small step, I think, to just you know let your quarterback have some input because, and I, I'm uh, we didn't include this in the story, but I think it's implied. 
the old line being better is good for everybody, not just Russell. Like everybody gets a raise when your old line is nasty. Like that that's a good thing. Like he shouldn't have to ask for that. You know, that should it shouldn't be something he has to go out in the media and kinda of like beg and campaign for, like, oh I should have more say in personnel. Give him some say. That doesn't mean he's gotta be out like here drafting players, but I mean like, yeah, if you if you're considering a right tackle, you're gonna pay a free agency, call Russ, but hey Russ, what you think let's do? Oh, okay. Like let him have some input. He should be making decisions. That's not his job description. But like input and say are th- there's so many levels to those two things. And if he's not getting it to his liking, I don't know what his liking is, but I do think he needs, they just got to make him feel more involved and like his voice actually matters to them. Cause right now he just doesn't, whether, whether like that's true or not, he just feels that it doesn't matter. Now, do you see them going after a guy like a Joe Tooney or Riley Reef or, you know, trying to make a move to make a pick in the draft like a Penny Sewell who is out of their say, reach? Say those names again. Uh, Joe Thune, uh Riley Reef. Do you see them trying to allocate funds towards the offensive line and free agency? Oh, man, you're really, really cutting out, and it sounds like you're almost like underwater or something. Oh, crud. Um, can you hear me now? <laughs> Uh, a little bit. Keep going. Uh, can you hear me now? All right. Yeah, that's better. That's better. All right. So my question was, do you see them trying to allocate funds to like Joe Tooney or Riley Reef and trying to go after a big name offensive lineman? You know, I'm not, I'm not sure. That just depends on, you know, how seriously they're taking Russell's like anger. Because their, their mode is, like, last year, I think I wrote this in a story today. They had... They spent like twelve million bucks on the offensive line and offseason, and that was on four guys. You know, I think it was like it was like Cedric Abui, Brandon Shell, BJ Finney, and I'm uh, missing a guy. But uh, maybe Chance Warmack. Either way, they they didn't spend a lot. That's my point. Like, and that's not just because they didn't have money. They spent last season with uh, $54 million, dollars, I think, um, in in free, in uh, cap space, and came away with. Not a lot to show for it. You know, like $12 million on your O-line is not necessarily what you should be spending, I think. Like, you should double that number. I don't care who you really go after. Like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm some O-line expert here. Like, I know there's the na- the big names out there like Brandon Scherf and Taylor Moulton and, and um, yeah, uh, Dooney. Like, there's dudes out there. Um, I think some wrong, but Mitchell Schwartz is back. Otherwise, like, I consider him, like, uh, someone if the, Chief, if the Chiefs cut him. Um, there's all these names out there. Trent Williams, I don't necessarily think it matters too much. Like, there just needs to be some more effort than usual. Like, their plan is is usually to, like, bargain shop. You know, how many guys can we – we got a $20 budget. How many dudes can we get with that? Uh, no, man. Like, that's just not working. And it's not working for your quarterback, mostly. Like, even if I don't necessarily agree with the plan, I'm not the one getting hit by Aaron Donald. Right? <laughs> so the guy getting hit by Aaron Donald, you should give a damn what he thinks. And your effort has to be there, whether it's – um, the most expensive right tackle, you know, most expensive guard, the most expensive center, don't really matter. There has to be some type of effort, and your quarterback has to feel that you guys actually tried to give him some help. Now, in looking at their drafts the past few years, they have not drafted well at all. Looking to some of the most recent picks, Jordan Brooks, LJ Collier, uh, Rashad Penny, is that, in your opinion, the key to trying to get pl- 
better in all honesty or do you see them trying to you know trade away some of the vets and really retooling or is it really just drafting better because Brooks and Collier and Penny have played big roles but they haven't necessarily played well um I, I think the the issue is like their position their assessment of like positional value I think like not even it's just those say that those individual guys like they're all those are all fine guys nice dudes jordan brooks nice dude shot great dude like it's not even a personal thing it's more just like the positional value that they place on these guys is not great like you should not take an off-ball linebacker with tw- the 27th overall pick that's just not not today like that's i just don't think that that's worth it in today's game um same thing with uh a run stopping, uh, you know, edge defender as LJ Collier. Like, obviously he can pass rush, but like, he's, that's his primary, like, thing. Like, he's nasty at that, you know? And what was the other one? Oh, Penny, running back. You don't take a running back in the first round. I don't care who it is. So, like, I think that was their problem more than, like, the fact that those guys haven't performed. Like, they performed like dudes that you would think, you know, that you get, you know, with, with that, that pick. Maybe, maybe not Rashad, but like, for the most part, I just don't think they're they're valuable in the right positions. For me, I probably would only take about five spots if I wasn't picking in the top, let's say ten. So if you pick if you have pick eleven through thirty-two in the first round, if you're not taking a tackle, a quarterback, a receiver, a corner, or a defensive end, trade back. Just keep trading back. You you're not you're just you're not doing yourself uh you're not using your resources correctly. Like, don't take a center. Don't take a guard. Def- run stuff in defensive tackle. Don't do any of that stuff. Um, and I think that the Seahawks are very just bad at, like, assessing positional value in the draft. So well, even if, like, yeah, you would expect more from, like, LJ this past couple years, I mean, even LJ would tell you that. It's just, like, they, they already put him in a bad position using that draft capital on that position. Um, yeah, so I think that's their, their first misstep. Now, in looking at their running back room um, specifically, Chris Carson is likely to be out of Seattle after, well, now after the season. Do you see them maybe trying to go to the draft to get somebody to compliment Penny? Does Penny become the bell cow? How do you see them addressing the running back position with Carson likely out the door? Um, I, I, It's still in play that Chris Carson comes back to Seattle. Uh, but if he doesn't, yeah, they're going to be, I think, aggressive in the draft, free agency, um, I could see them letting Chris walk, drafting a guy, signing a, a veteran like a Mark Ingram or Tevin Coleman or something like that on a, like a one-year like rental, and then just kind of rolling out Rashad, the vet, and then DJ Dallas, Travis Homer, Alex Collins, and then the rookie. That, that's like a what's that like six dudes. Um, so I mean that's that's probably what they're gonna because they're gonna look at it as like a resource allocation. If you even if you're willing to tag Chris at eight mil. Are you better off spending, spending that eight mil out, giving like three of it to a vet, um, you know, drafting a guy and paying him 600K maybe, um, and then using the rest elsewhere? You know, I think that's probably how they view the situation. Do I think that's the best way to use it? I'm not sure. If you don't upgrade your O-line, it doesn't matter who your running back is, to be honest. Like, if your O-line is nasty, your, your run game will be good, regardless of who the running back is, in my opinion. Um, so... I do think they'll be aggressive at it if they let Chris walk. It's still in, in play that Chris stays, but you know I'm not I, I'm not entirely sure. The worst thing they could do, I think, though, and I wrote this on Monday, is don't draft a running back at 56. 
Like just if they only got four picks. If he was your top one on a running back, like that's that's pretty bad. Like Russell should just redo his trade demands all over again. Now, um, and I don't have you too much longer here, but in looking at the defensive side of the football, um, a guy who was on my New York Jets uh, got traded to you guys, Jamal Adams. How did you feel he fit within the team this year, and how do you feel him and the overall defense kind of playing moving forward? I think the defense is actually going to be really uh, solid uh, next year if they can bring back KJ Wright. I think their pass rush is going to be fine. I caught some heat this morning for uh, people saying as that suggested that they don't really need to like go spend big on a defensive end. Um, I don't think so. Like if you bring back Carlos Dunlap, who's under contract, and you re-sign Benson Mayola, um, who was who was really solid last year relative to his salary. I do. I think Benson had like six sacks or something like that, and was making like three million bucks. Like that, I can I can rock with. Um, who else did they have? They, they got a second-round pick in Daryl Taylor that they had on the shelf last year. They had Alden Robinson, uh, who was a rookie last year, but was basically the second-best pass rusher um, in the draft um, outside of uh, Chase Young. And he was a, and Alden was a fifth-round pick. So you got Alden, you got Jamal Adams, like you said, uh, bringing pass rush. He's probably one of their best pass rushers. They had a defensive tackle in Jay Reed who had six sacks, like, Jamal just adds to that whole group. Like, I could see them easily having a top-five pass rush in 2021 if guys just stay healthy. And Jamal will be a big reason for that. I don't I don't think it's just surprise anyone Jamal gets, like, 10 sacks next year from the safety spot. Yeah, it does hurt me. You know, he – it was ugly divorce with the New York Jets, but I – I still have a lot of respect for the guy, and it was a lot of fun to watch with the Jets, and as much as uh, it was that ugly divorce, I'm excited to see how he continues to grow with Seattle and how the Jets continue to grow with uh, the compensation that Seattle forked over to them. So uh, excited for that. Now, before we get on to my last question here, you've had the privilege to cover a lot of guys in the past few years. Who are some of your favorite guys you've had the privilege to talk to in your time covering the Seahawks? Say, Say that last part again. Who are some of your favorite guys you've had the privilege to cover? Oh, favorite guys. Um, I only had Richard Sherman for a year, but that was really fun. Um, Cause he just always had something to say. Michael Bennett has probably become like one of the, I mean, we, we, we we're not going to view it this way now, but I think years from now, like story of the NFL, like Michael Bennett's going to have a very prominent role you know like he was one of the people riding for Colin Kaepernick and just riding for people who were you know didn't look like him necessarily like he was riding for women he was riding for uh you know native people like Michael Bennett is a very and and on top of riding for black people too like Michael Bennett was just a very thoughtful dude um very vulnerable dude the book he wrote was great um when he had something to say, he was making you laugh. Or he was making you think. Two things you should do, you know, all day, every day. Um, so Mike B was great. Richard Sherman's a fun dude. Um, Doug Baldwin, really, like, that's another dude who's, like, making you think all the time. It's challenging you. Um, and you need that. Um, so I think I didn't cover Marshawn. I covered Marshawn a little bit in 2019, but that was uh, – I didn't get the full Marshawn experience <laughs> Um, so I think those are some of the dudes that, that stand out for real. I think an underrated one would probably be the, not underrated, because people know them, the Griffin twins, Shaquille Griffin and Shaquem Griffin. Um, they're just full of life, super fun. Um, I get mistaken for them all the time, um, even though I don't look like them at all. But yeah, that's fun. Those are, that's probably like my top five right there. 
Now, before we close out here, I have a question I ask everybody who comes on the show, and that is, when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, that I I just did dope shit. That's (laughs) it, you know? Um, And and looked out for people. I guess those are the the, the two most important things. Like, I did did dope stuff, dope stuff that mattered, and and looked out for other people. like is again, we're talking about like on the internet today that we've rehashed the unpaid internship thing, which is dumb. Don't work for free. Um, but I think part of that for a lot of black journalists too is like we're we're sensing the privilege of people who are you know for unpaid uh, internships, and you know we know as black writers, it's like yo, we we gotta get we gotta help each other out. Like we can't be asking us ourselves to work for free and stuff like that. So I just want to be somebody that did dope shit, um, and helped out people, you know, along the way. That was a hell of an answer, and it's been a pleasure sitting down with you. Can you tell the people where they can find you on social media and on The Athletic? Um, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Mike Dugar. That's M-I-K-E-D-U-G-A-R. Uh, my podcast is always pinned to the top of my profile. Uh, my author page for all of my stories, um, that's in my Twitter bio. Um, so really, my Twitter is like a one-stop shop for everything. You ain't got to scroll either. It's just everything's really just at the top. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. And ladies and gentlemen, that was Michael Dugar of The Athletic covering the Seattle Seahawks. My thanks once again to Michael for coming on. It was good to sit down with him and uh, talk all things football and Seattle Seahawks specifically. I'm excited to see how they address that offensive line because it's been an issue for years. And if they can somehow get a solution to it, I mean, that Seahawks team could be pretty scary. So once again, thanks to him and check out his stuff over at The Athletic. He's always putting out good content there. And if you want to check out more of our stuff, it's on at Ambitious Podcast on Instagram, at Ambitious with DP on Twitter, YouTube Ambitious with Dylan Price, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And, you know, just wherever you listen to podcasts, just type in Ambitious with Dylan Price and you'll find us. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, ambitious listeners. And once again, we're closing in on episode 100. It's going to be a big one. Thanks again for always listening, guys.